Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. It's Hoops Tonight presented by FanDuel. The NBA season is kicking into gear and there's no better place to get in on the action than with FanDuel. The app is safe and secure. Getting your money out is super easy. You can jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting. And I love building those same game parlays. And FanDuel is now live in Ohio. So use promo code JasonT and download the FanDuel app today to start making every moment more. 21-plus in select states, FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. Dial one 888 789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. Dial 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Dial 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. Dial 1-877-770-STOP in LA. Call 1-800-327-5050 or visit www.com M-A-H-E-L-P-L-I-N-E dot org slash problem gambling. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Dial 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Dial 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Saturday, everybody. I hope all of you guys had a great week. Just going to hit two games from tonight. The huge wins by the Warriors and the Lakers. 
the Lakers, who are now a 500 basketball team, believe it or not. For those of you guys looking for some stuff around the rest of the league, yesterday with Carson, we did 53 minutes on five big questions around the league. We spent the first half hour or so discussing the top six teams in the Eastern Conference from a bunch of different perspectives. We also spent some time talking about that ridiculous LeBron James fear narrative. You guys can find that on the YouTube channel's feed. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And if for whatever reason you guys miss one of these shows and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, don't forget, you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under Hoops Tonight. Last but not least, you guys have heard me talk about Game Time, the fastest growing ticketing app in the U.S. If you're looking to get out to an NBA game, a college basketball game, an NHL game, a baseball game, a concert, or a comedy show, Game Time has amazing last-minute deals on tickets to all of these. So if you're trying to get out to an NBA playoff team uh, playoff game, Game Time has you covered. If you're trying to get out to see John Mayer and his final tour with Dead & Company, Game Time has you covered. Uh, they've got an amazing user experience. You're going to find a good deal. You're going to get a good ticket. I want you guys to check it out. They've taken great care of me in the past, and I know they'll take great care of you guys. No matter where you live, get out and have some fun this week. Download the Game Time app, enter your email, and redeem code HOOPS for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, enter your email and code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, let's talk some basketball. So, you know, it's funny. Every once in a while in a basketball game, the entire outcome can shift based on one matchup going a certain way. And that's what I thought swung this Warriors game against the 76ers. They were down 90-79 to and had literally absolutely no answer for Joe Olimpi. And it wasn't for lack of trying. Looney and Draymond did the best that they could. But Joel Embiid is, is on a wrecking ball tour and has been on this tour for months now trying to prove to everybody he's the best player in the world. And, and he's playing like it. Again, you know, I'm not personally going to recognize that until it takes place in the postseason. But <laughs> if he plays anything like this in the postseason, it's going to be a problem. And it pretty soon he might end up being recognized that way. Um, but... They needed The Warriors needed something to give them the push they needed to get to the end of the game to where Steph Curry can close the deal, which, he's, which he has been doing very well as of late. And in this particular case, it was a combination of Jordan Poole and his ridiculous ability to drive to the basket, his dribble penetration, in combination with having his three-point shot going. You know, there, this, this from 90 to 79... Two when they took the lead in the late fourth quarter. Jordan Poole sprung most of that run. He had 19 points in the quarter. Nobody from Philadelphia could keep him in front. It started with a pull-up three. It's kind of in transition. Wasn't really a good shot. It was early in the clock. Draymond comes up and sets a screen. He comes off. Paul Reed's there. He's up with his hand up. But Jordan Poole just rises up and knocks down the three. And one of the concepts I want to spend a good amount of time talking about today is what it means to split a ball screen. So I've talked a lot about in switching defenses, about how difficult it is when you switch on to a defender to be re- or to an offensive player to be ready for what comes next. Because your mental focus is on the guy you were guarding, and now you're guarding someone else. And it's just a really quick transition, and it's tough to make those transitions smoothly. And so if you think about uh, what it means to split a pick and roll, so if the screen defender, the guy guarding the guy who's setting the ball screen, wants to take away your pull-up three, 
and you're coming off that screen hard and your defender is trapped behind you, there's airspace there. The only way to close that airspace is to get out to above the level of the screen to contest that three. But what is that? That's effectively a closeout. What do I talk about all the time on the show? Advantage creation. If you can create that initial advantage, you give your lesser offensive players and a player closing out at them as opposed to a static defender, they've got a chance to beat them. And Jordan Poole, even in a static situation, is extremely difficult to, to keep in front. And he, I think he had at least three pick-and-roll splits down the stretch of the fourth quarter, if not more. Right after that pull-up three, same type of ball screen, Paul Reed comes way out, and Jordan Poole splits it. Just pushes the ball out in front. It's effectively like a crossover on the closeout, and goes up and dunks it with two hands. Then Joel Embiid uh, checks into the game. And Jordan Poole runs a, a uh, ball screen with Jonathan Kaminga, a variation of Spain pick and roll. Joel Embiid is sitting in drop coverage. He comes up a little bit higher to get ready for that Jordan Poole uh, pull up. But as Jordan Poole's coming downhill on the screen, Steph Curry comes up and sets a back screen on Joel Embiid. Again, we talk about the Spain pick and roll. The shooter doesn't necessarily just have to relocate to the top of the key. He can also screen the screen defender. Again, Spain pick and roll is any pick and roll where you have a shooter underneath the basket that relocates to the top of the key. But he's not relocating just to shoot. If he has an opportunity to run into that screen defender, he can create an opening. He hits Embiid, pool comes off clean, and makes a nice, easy floater off the glass. Then uh, on the next uh, the next bucket that uh, um, Jordan Poole gets, he kind of uh, comes flying off of an off-ball action along the right side of the floor, and Tyrese Maxey comes up too close on a catch-and-shoot and fouls him on a three-shot foul. And he had made five threes so far in that game. Again, a lot of foul drawing is getting defenders out of position. A lot of getting defenders out of position is having them panic chasing you because they're scared you're going to shoot. And the only way you're going to get that is if you demonstrate the ability to make that shot. I talked about this a lot with Austin Reeves over the last couple of days. Everyone's like, oh, foul grifting, foul grifting. Yeah, there's a certain amount of that going on. But a lot of it is Austin Reeves is a 50-40-90 guy. The shots he takes go in. So defenders are panic chasing him when he finds those little openings. So when he pump fakes, people go for it every time. You're going to draw that foul as Jordan Poole when you've made five threes in a way that you won't be able to when you haven't. You demonstrate the ability to knock the shot down. You generate the panic in the defensive player. Draws the foul. Gets to the um, gets to the foul line. Then he starts just relentlessly attacking Georges Nye. Again, it's still a ball screen. It's a guard-guard screen. Most often going to end in a switch but it is still a ball screen. Georges Niang, same type of thing. He's got to be out there quickly on the screen to take away that pull-up three because Jordan Poole's got the three-point shot going. He kept beating him with that quick left-to-right cross to split that ball screen to get downhill. On the first one, he splits and he drops it off to Kevon Looney because Joel Embiid steps up and contains Jordan Poole at the basket. Drops it off to Kevon Looney. Then Jordan Poole does what every Warriors card does that he learned from Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. He... After he makes the pass, he sprints to the right corner. And when he does, Tobias Harris, who's guarding Klay Thompson, has to abandon Klay Thompson to close out to Jordan Poole in the corner. Kevon Looney catches, Embiid and Niang come to him, and he spots Klay Thompson wide open on the right wing, knocks down the first of the two huge threes that he hit in the late fourth quarter of this game. Then the next possession... Um, Jordan Poole just beats Tyrese Maxey in semi-transition, like 
Philly's not really set, just does a hard dribble move to the basket. Joel Embiid comes flying over to try to block the shot. Again, what we talk about with rim pressure, one of the many benefits is occupying the rim protector. When you occupy the rim protector, what's the fallout from that? The guy that the rim protector is guarding is available for an offensive rebound. Jordan Poole misses the layup, but Joel Embiid sold out for this one. Actually ran into Jordan. I think they both fell over, if I remember correctly. And there's Kevon Looney for the easy putback. And then um, he actually, what was crazy is on the following possession, he in pick and roll got downhill and Embiid was there waiting for him and he just challenged him right at the rim and made it. Every single thing was going for Jordan Poole in this game. The catch and shoot three, the pull up three in pick and roll, the floater, his passing ability, his finishing at the rim, his straight isolation driving attack. He was unbelievable in the fourth quarter of this game. I will say that I did think, and I want to cut and beat some slack here because it was just a reality of their predicament. James Harden was out. So that inherently just puts an enormous workload on Joel Embiid. As a result, he was being lazy in his drop, sitting too far back. And I thought that was a big part of why Philly lost down the stretch of this game. There were two massive baskets that Klay Thompson and Steph Curry got just taking advantage of Joel Embiid sitting too far back. The first was that ball screen three that Klay Thompson took at the top of the key, Joel Embiid too far back. And then I think it was when it was 108-108, Steph Curry just came over the top of the screen, Joel Embiid way too far back. He made that little 15-foot floater in the the lane. Um, But, you know, Jordan Poole played well enough to get it close to where Steph could close it. You know, and it's, I want to be clear, like, you know, we, this, this show naturally leads to criticism. You know, it's just kind of the nature of, of what this, this show is. We talk about basketball. And basketball games are won and they are lost. So inherently, there has to be good and bad. Uh, but one of the things that I always try to do is point out when a player plays well and point out when a player plays poorly. And we've, just like most Warriors fans, been very critical of, of Jordan Poole over the course of the last month. And he's struggled a lot. And, you know, the thing is, Jordan Poole has a lot of weaknesses. Like, he's struggles in the margins of basketball. Like, he's going to miss a lot of box outs. He's going to get lost in help defense. He's not going to get matched up in transition. He's going to give up driving lanes at the point of attack. But he also has a lot of strengths. And there's one particular strength, a great strength of his, his elite skill. The thing he does better than most other NBA players is he is just ridiculously fast, great at changing direction, and can handle the hell out of the basketball. And that dribble penetration piece is enough to put a defense in the blender. And again, matchups determine basketball games. Philly's not a good perimeter defense team. And so that dynamic, Jordan Poole and his ability to consistently get dribble penetration, allowed Golden State to steal a game when they were getting just completely run over by Joel Embiid. Tossed around like ragdolls. But like again, when we're talking about Jordan Poole, I just want to make sure that we cover both sides there. Yes, he's had has some weaknesses. Yes, they've come to the surface over the course of the season, especially with the personnel shortcomings that the Warriors have had. But he's also really good at a lot of stuff. Namely, he's one of the best dribble penetrators in the game of basketball. Once he got it close, though, Steph was able to close the deal. We just talked about that floater heat against Embiid and drop. Uh, very next possession when it was 110-110, Tobias Harris made a couple of massive shots. A pull-up shot and pick and roll, and then a nice isolation shot over Draymond Green, where he also got fouled, I thought. Um, you know, the, Philly made plays uh, to, to keep this thing close late. 
But after uh, Harris ties it at 110-110, Steph has this nifty Steve Nash play where he kind of takes this transition pick and roll from Draymond, gets downhill, kind of gets to the left side of the basket, loops around along the baseline behind the backboard, catches Embiid slipping for just a second and slips in that little bank shot for 112-110. And then the final play, the dagger, the Jordan Poole three in the corner, was a very similar play to what happened on the dagger play against Dallas. I I talk a lot about rejecting pick and roll. One of the ways, like one of the ways that you can take advantage of guard defenders in pick and roll, like we always talk about, is get them engaged with the screen. So many pick and roll coverages in the NBA depend on players chasing over the top and applying back pressure. Because if you apply back pressure, you will funnel the guard into your rim protector. The better the job that guard does, the more your rim protector can sag back into the paint. The lesser job your guard does, the higher your big has to come out to help as the ball handler is coming out over the top. So guards are constantly just preached at all the time, especially in the NBA. Just about pick and roll coverages and getting over the top of that ball screen. So what happens? You're in in a screen and roll coverage. You've got Embiid behind you. He's telling you, screen right, screen right, screen right. Steph's got his, the ball in his left hand and he's looking at the ball screen like he's going to go to that, that, that screen off uh, to the defender's right-hand side. And if you watch this play, you will see DeAnthony Melton hop to the right above the screen because he's preparing to try to fight over the top to beat Steph to that spot so that Embiid doesn't have to come out of his drop. And Steph, once again, just like he did to Maxi Kleba in the Dallas game, quickly rejects the screen. That is when you push back. Right when you see that guard start to engage with the screen is the best time to reverse that screen. He reverses it, gets downhill, draws Draymond Green's man, kicks a Draymond Green. Draymond Green makes the extra pass to Jordan Poole. Bucket 115-110 Warriors win. Step back-to-back games where he made all the right plays executing down the stretch for the Warriors in high pick and roll. Defensively, they had no answer for Embiid, and Embiid went on a run there in the fourth quarter right in the middle of the Jordan Poole run that just kept them kind of at arm's distance. But there was one brief stretch there where Doc Rivers uh, went with P.J. Tucker, and Draymond Green checks in and just completely ignores P.J. Tucker to double-team Joel Embiid. And that allowed them to get enough stops because P.J. Tucker just could not make that left corner three, which has been an issue pretty much since he was in Houston. And they get enough stops. And then when Doc Rivers adjusted and went away from P.J. Tucker, Embiid actually missed his last two pull-up jump shots. One of them was over a double team, but another one was a pretty decent look. So you took him out of his rhythm by doubling the ball away from him, and then he finally missed a couple of shots. That's why I always get on this with like Steve Kerr and Eric Spolster about mixing up coverages. Like Everything with basketball players is about rhythm and flow, and anything you can do to disrupt that flow gives you a better chance to win. Throw in a zone defense look every once in a while. That'll that'll throw off someone's rhythm. Double team them three, four possessions in a row and then leave them in single coverage. They'll be like confused that the double's not there and then they'll look to go to work, but then they haven't shot in a while, so their rhythm is a little bit off. You get a couple of misses. That was enough. They were aggressively just completely ignoring P.J. Tucker and hard doubling Joel Embiid, and then Joel Embiid couldn't make the shots down the stretch of the game. Really, really just... All, all, all classic Golden State execution down the stretch of that game. The three Warriors guards combined for 83 points. One last Warrior I, I wanted to shout out before we move on. Um, 
Moses Moody, I, I thought he had a really impressive fourth quarter shift. And it started like started with a, a really impressive corner three. I say really impressive. Just stepped up and knocked down an important corner three on that classic Warriors action. Steph Curry, like the uh, Sixers bench unit, the beginning of the fourth quarter was blitzing the Steph Curry pick and rolls. Classic Warriors response to that is have Draymond set the ball screen, blitz Steph. Steph throws that little loopy little drop pass to the to the roll man. Draymond Green gets downhill, engages the defender out of the weak side corner, kick pass to the corner. That was, uh, Moses Moody made a shot off of that, but I was really impressed with him defensively. I thought he was making all the right rotations, getting to the nice, uh, getting to the right spots. Um, he, had, he had a play where he stonewalled DeAnthony Melton at the rim with verticality, like made a rotation, got outside the charge circle, jumped as hard uh, as high as he could with his arms straight up, got a stop. It was an impressive shift. I think he was plus six in that shift, if I remember correctly. It spanned the end of the um, third and early fourth, if I remember correctly. Uh, really nice win for the Warriors. That's a third in the, a third in a row. They are now one loss back of the four seed, thanks to Phoenix dropping some games. And they're heading into an easy stretch of their schedule. They, these are the three games that I talked about uh, um, when we went over their schedule uh, earlier this week. They are home for the Timberwolves, Pelicans, and Spurs. They will be favored in all three. They'll be tough. The Timberwolves are on a... I believe a two-game winning streak, and the Pelicans are on a three-game winning streak. So they're not going to be easy games, but those are games at home that the Warriors are capable of winning if they bring the requisite urgency, even without Andrew Wiggins. Um, if they win all three of those games, I believe they will be the four seed when this is all said and done. And Gary Payton is expected back in their next game. The biggest question looking forward for the Warriors is, can Jonathan Kaminga and Gary Payton bring you enough to replace what Andrew Wiggins brings to the table. And I mean, not to get all uh, negative here, but like it's going to be challenging to determine what Golden State's capable of in a playoff run without Andrew Wiggins. Because simply put, I thought he was their second best player in last year's playoff run. And a huge reason why they won the trophy was the individual defensive job he did on Luka Doncic and Jason Tatum, as well as him being good for 18 points a night or whatever it was he was in the playoffs. So, I mean, Kaminga's been pretty good. He had a rough shooting night tonight, but he's been pretty good as of late. If he can slide into that and and, and if that role and play well, they have a chance, but it is definitely going to be difficult without Andrew Wiggins. And, and hopefully this winning streak can provide them enough push to maybe convince him to come back. Uh, last note on the Sixers before we move on. It, it, it was no James Harden, so you don't want to think too much about it. And that obviously affected them offensively down the stretch of this game when they were doubling Joel Embiid. It just hurts them in their race against Boston. Uh, they're now one loss back of that second seed, and Boston has the tiebreaker. So that puts them in a tough spot. And the problem is, is if you end up in three, there's a pretty decent chance that you end up playing Miami in the first round. And... You know, obviously looking at this season, it's really easy to be like, oh, well, Philly's better. They'll beat them, right? But Miami beat Philly pretty handily last year. Mind you, Embiid was dealing with that uh, orbital bone fracture. But that's definitely not an easy matchup. And the one way that that loss particularly hurts is you avoid Miami entirely if you can get that two seed and and end up in a better position from a playoff standpoint. But um, I continue to be completely blown away by how well Joel Embiid's been playing. All right, let's move on to Thunder Lakers. Lakers win 116-111. to 111. Another monster night from Anthony Davis. He had 37-14. and 14. Uh, Dennis Schroeder had 13 points in the fourth quarter. There was a really interesting game plan dynamic going on with both teams, and I thought it 
backfired for both teams, ironically. The Thunder were, when Anthony Davis was on the floor, they were running a drop coverage and they were prioritizing the roll man. So, you know, uh, the defender that was chasing over the top of the screen would kind of like grab AD and slow down his roll. And then the dude who's guarding and drop is kind of like handling AD as he's rolling to the basket. So the guards coming over the top were the ones that had the openings there. And that was a big part of how Dennis Schroeder impacted the game in the fourth quarter, especially down the stretch. When AD was out there, he made a couple of massive pull-up jump shots in that like semi-circle area there, 10 to 15 feet away from the rim. But early in the fourth quarter, when Anthony Davis was off the floor, one of the things that the Thunder was uh, was doing when Wenyan Gabriel was out there is they were just switching everything. So the Lakers were running their interchanges and not gaining any advantage because, the, like, you know, Dennis Schroeder's got a little bit of ISO ability. Austin's got a little bit of ISO ability. But those guys are all typically pick-and-roll guys. Like, they're at their best when they can get downhill and make reads. And so switching kind of negates that to a certain extent. And you know, Dennis Schroeder made three plays there in the early third, early fourth quarter against Oklahoma City, switching, just willing the ball into the basket. He had a three, he had a driving layup. There was one, uh, his third bucket that he had there to start the fourth quarter, where he just like forced, I think he was being guarded by Lou Dort, if I remember correctly, but uh, I can't, I'm not 100% certain. Beats him to the right, is contained, is like sidling alongside of him and just throws up like a scoop shot with his right hand that he shot from like four feet off the ground that somehow went in, literally just wheeling the ball into the basket. It's about eight minutes and 45 seconds left. Darvin Ham calls a really smart timeout after uh, the Lakers secure a loose ball. They're up five, I think, at that point. And I thought it was a really smart timeout in large part because the Lakers were not getting good shots against Oklahoma City uh, switching. It just so happened that Dennis Schroeder had wheeled the ball into the basket three times to start the quarter. They went back to that uh, Anthony Davis lineup there to close the game and ended up getting enough baskets to win. But, you know, Mark Dagenal did a good job just kind of mixing things up. Like I said, uh, uh, going from switching to drop based on who was on the floor. They randomly went to zone on some possessions after makes. Um, And then on Anthony Davis post-ups, this was the one place where I thought Mark Dagenal messed up. Anthony Davis struggles with pressure in his face. So, like, if you hard double him to his face side, he panics and struggles to handle that, usually just tries to get the ball out to the perimeter. But Oklahoma City was doubling from the baseline side. So, like, they would make the post entry to Anthony Davis on the left block, and, you know, Jalen Williams would be, like, kind of pressing up on him, and then they'd have, like, Shea Gilgis-Alexander or Isaiah Joe or somebody kind of loop around the baseline and try to poke it out from behind. The problem there was is Anthony Davis was able to attack quickly towards the middle. And that attacking quickly piece is a huge part of Anthony Davis getting going in the last three halves. I, I tweeted at halftime uh, of the last game, I tweeted at halftime that Anthony Davis was really struggling with just going quickly to the basket. This was against Phoenix. And if you remember correctly, he had like a, bear, like a really bad first half against Phoenix. I think he had like seven points and seven rebounds or something. I can't remember exactly. Uh, but he dominated, had 20-something in the first half or second half against Phoenix. And then he ended up with, you know, uh, 37 and 14 tonight. And one of the things he did, I tweeted this out at halftime of that of that game, is I want to see Anthony Davis go quickly. And we, talk, we kind of broke down the benefits of that in that show. Basically just... 
going quickly before the defense can really get set to double-team you. You're going to go into traffic. You're going to have some turnovers. You're going to have some offensive fouls. Some things are going to go poorly, but in the aggregate with all of the rim pressure and the shots you're going to get and the fouls you're going to draw, it's actually a huge benefit, and it it neutralizes the double-team, which is the most important part. Giannis is one of the best players in the league at this particular thing. But ever since that first half against Phoenix, Anthony Davis has been amazing. He's averaging damn near 20 points a half since that specific adjustment that he made. And if you watch, just go to NBA.com and click on the box scores and all the blue numbers where you can click and see the videos. Watch Anthony Davis's field goal attempts from the second half of the Suns game on versus the first half of the Suns game, and you will see a massive difference in his touches with how quickly he goes to attack versus standing and holding and surveying and waiting for that double team uh, to come. But I did think it was a tactical mistake for Mark Daginald to double along the baseline side because I thought it allowed Anthony Davis to get comfortable in a way that he doesn't when teams are more aggressive double-teaming him in his face. Then on the other end of the floor, the Lakers had a similar game plan that that backfired. They were completely sagging off of Jalen Williams, not Jalen Williams, Jalen Williams and Lou Dort, just ignoring them and giving them wide-open catch-and-shoot threes in, in large part to keep Anthony Davis in the paint, right? Like Anthony Davis is guarding Jalen Williams, keep him in the paint. It allows you to contain one of the best basket attackers in the game in Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and that was a big part of why they succeeded in slowing down Shea Gilgis-Alexander. The downside was is the Thunder had an outstanding three-point shooting game, and those two guys, Lou Dort and Jalen Williams, went six for 13 from three. And those same two guys went two for eight from three against the Clippers the night before. So some of that is like bad luck, but it's the reality of professional basketball players. Like if you leave professional basketball players wide open, even the ones that struggle, they're going to have nights where they go in They because they're working on it too hard. You know, like you can bet your ass that Lou Dort and Jalen Williams at every Thunder practice are sticking around after and making a hundred threes. You know, like they're, those guys are putting in the work in preparation for those particular types of shots and they have the ability to knock them down. But I thought Jared Vanderbilt did an outstanding job on Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Once again, every defensive assignment, with exception of Julius Randle, which was, I thought, whistle-related, I thought Jared Vanderbilt's handled every defensive assignment extremely well. Now, he, he did. it was a team effort. You had Anthony Davis kind of basically just zoning up underneath the basket, which allowed Jared Vanderbilt to apply more ball pressure. But I thought the big part of how Jared Vanderbilt succeeded was contesting those long twos. One of Shea's favorite things to do is kind of hesitate, get the ball into his left hand, and take two hard dribbles down to like the semicircle and push you off and take that little short 10, 12-foot jump shot. But Jared Vanderbilt actually does a really nice job contesting that shot. And, you know, uh, he the final two shots that Shea took in this game, one where he did a blatant push-off with his right hand. Jared was upset. He thought he should have got a push-off foul. Um, but he perfectly contested it. Shea just made it. You live with the result. Later on in a key defensive possession later in the fourth quarter, Shea took a step back three and Jared timed it a little even a little better and was damn near high-fiving him on his release and got a stop. It's like an it's like Jared Vanderbilt has been so considered a big man on offense because of his inability to shoot that a lot of people don't really think of him as a traditional wing, but in terms of his actual mobility, like he's a 6'9 player with long arms with very quick feet who's strong but light on his feet that can move well, that's your textbook wing defender. And he's and he's been handling every single assignment thrown his way five stars. Held Shade uh, to 9 for 22 from the field in this game. And I thought he got a rough whistle, um, although not as bad as the uh, Julius Randle one from last week. Lonnie Walker. 
20 points and four threes. Outstanding rim pressure. He's one of the best things he's done all year is just, especially in pick and roll, is he just gets downhill, which engages help defenders and, and, and good things happen there. You know, uh, Darvin Ham commented after the game. I was finishing my notes and I have the league pass feed up, and, and Darvin Ham's uh, presser came on. And he talked about how. Uh, it was just such a professional way to handle that situation for Lonnie Walker. And it's true because if you really look at it, if you look at the situation, the Laker guard situation has been a crowded mess all year. And it's like, yeah, you sent out Russell Westbrook and you sent out Patrick Beverly, but you brought back Malik Beasley and D'Angelo Russell, two guys that started at one point together. And Austin Reeves just was playing really, really well and deserved more minutes. And Darvin said, like, you know, sometimes you do everything right and you lose your minutes even though it's not your fault. And that's what happened to Lonnie. But, like, what does being a professional mean? Do you sulk or do you stay ready? And Lonnie clearly has been working his ass off, staying ready behind the scenes to be ready in case this happened. And D'Angelo Russell, for whatever reason, has been taken a lot of games off for the Lakers with minor injuries. And so opportunity has been there and Lonnie stepped in and, and they don't win this game without Lonnie plain and simple. They do not beat the thunder unless Lonnie comes in and brings the effort that he brings. The Lakers are now 11 and six post trade deadline. That is the sixth best record in the league over that span. LeBron has played in just three of those 17 games. And they toasted off the Mavs game with a four-point lead late because of two defensive mistakes from Anthony Davis. I think it was actually a five-point lead late. And you took a DNP rest loss to Houston, giving up 70-something points in the paint because Anthony Davis didn't play. So they're 11-6, and six, basically without LeBron. And they'd be 13-4 and four if not for a catastrophic couple of mistakes from AD in a, a game he probably could have played in if he had the permission of the medical staff. They're a good team. They have the second best defense in the league over that span. Just a tenth of a point per 100 possessions behind the Milwaukee Bucks. And they are now 500 and tied for the seventh seed in the Western Conference. And I think the seventh seed should be the absolute minimum goal for the Lakers. It's going to be hard for them to get up above that. I know they're only one loss back from Golden State, but like Golden State's heading into an easier stretch of their schedule. The Suns are getting um, Kevin Durant back. I think the Thunder, I think the um, Clippers, uh, if I'm not mistaken, are going into a little bit of an easier stretch of their schedule too. I'll have to look, but like, yeah, they've got a chance to get six and they should shoot for that, obviously. But, you know, getting that seven seed, I think is the most important because then you're home for that play-in game. And if you win, you'll get to play most likely Memphis in the first round, a matchup that I really like for the Lakers because of their interior defense against John Morant. So that seven seed has got to be their target. It's not going to be easy. Um, they have the uh, five of their final eight games are on the road. And the thing is, is like you look at the schedule and you go, oh, some of these games are easy. Like they're they're playing a home and home against Chicago um, starting Sunday and Tuesday, I believe. And here's the thing, like Chicago's, yeah, they're below 500. They're not a bad team. They got really good players. Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Vucevic, Patrick Beverly is going to be coming for revenge in those games. Again, like the Lakers will be favored and they should be, but those are not easy games. So they've got to keep their foot on the pedal. They've got to get a couple of these wins after that Chicago home and home. Then you got Minnesota who's all reinvigorated because Carl Anthony Towns is back. 
It's not going to be easy. But if they can get that seven seed, I really like their chances um, as a team that's got a legit puncher's chance to come out of the Western Conference. Lastly, Oklahoma City. <laughs> Every time I watch them, I'm just blown away just by the sheer amount of good basketball players they have. Just the, like, you know, Jeremiah Robinson Earl comes in in the early fourth quarter and is just big and athletic and making plays and hitting corner threes. You know, like, between Jalen Williams and Shea Gilgis Alexander and Isaiah Joe is just another outstanding shooter that they have. Uh, um, uh, Aaron Wiggins was making plays in that fourth quarter. But they just, they just have a boatload of good basketball players. And Chet Holmgren's on the way. Shea is rapidly ascending into a top ten player in this league. They've got a million draft picks. That they are just in outstanding position to take a leap next year. And they are every bit as scary in terms of a future ceiling as the Thunder of a decade ago, in my opinion. And, and it's a good time to be a Thunder fan. All right, guys, that is all I have for tonight. Uh, we will have another show this weekend being released on Sunday afternoon, covering the Saturday night games. And then we're going live late on Monday night before we take Tuesday off. As always, I sincerely appreciate your guys' support, and I will see you on Sunday afternoon. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one -on -one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound... Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon.